I would like, am I on? I would like to know who wooed loudly. Oh, Chris, thank you. Do you want to have coffee again soon? All right, we are starting with what I am calling an awkward experiment that you are all invited to participate in. It won't take that long, and we'll see what it reveals. So I'll describe it first, and then those who want to do it can do it. So here's our experiment. For those of you who want, you can close your eyes. You certainly don't have to, but sometimes that's easier. And then you're going to tell yourself, I love me. Like, I love me so much. So um, maybe think of someone you love a lot, a friend or a family member, and how you might say that. Only it would be like, oh, 80, I love you so much. Okay, that's part one, right? We've all got that. And then part two, you're going to start enumerating all the reasons why you love you so much. Okay, everybody gets it. It's an experiment. We're all ready for a little experiment? All right, we're just going to take about 30 seconds. I love myself, and these are the reasons why. Okay, here's how I predict, or here's how I am uh, thinking that might have went. I'm guessing that a few of you opted out and said, eh, I don't think that's for me. I'm guessing that a few of you had trouble right away, just like saying I love you to myself, either because it's awkward or it somehow felt disingenuous. Or maybe if you did, you couldn't think of too many reasons why. And I'm guessing that a few of you could have kept going for quite a while longer with all the reasons. Like, I saw someone with their hand on their heart, and I wondered why all the reasons they loved themselves so much was. All right. This was prompted by a podcast that I listened to. I was listening to a rabbi who I follow every week, and she was telling this story about how she said to her students, she was talking to her students um, who were preparing for their bar and bas mitzvah. So maybe you guys know what a bar or a bas, some people say bat mitzvah is. Um, literally, bar mitzvah is a son of blessing, bas mitzvah, a daughter of blessing. But for Jewish people, this is sort of the rite of passage that happens when you're 13. I was 13 years old when I was bas mitzvah. And part of what that meant was I had to learn a portion of the Torah. We call it the Haftorah. And then you have to chant it. And you actually have to keep a tune. But nobody but you and the cantor, who's like the worship leader, knows what the tune is. So it doesn't matter. And you're speaking in Hebrew, so no one knows if you get anything right. 
But this rabbi was talking to her students who are all preparing for their bar and bas mitzvahs, and she's talking about a, a passage in the Torah, and she says that the Torah commands us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And they're having this discussion with the kids from this passage in Leviticus, love our neighbors, we love ourselves. Um, Mark quotes Jesus um, in chapter 4 um, in the book of Mark. But the rabbi's talking about this, and one of the students raises their hand, and the rabbi says, what is it? And the student says, well, rabbi, what if I don't love myself? Which got the rabbi thinking and got me thinking. Like, what did the Bible writers actually mean? And is it a good thing to love our neighbors as we love ourselves? And what if, as this astute adolescent said, we don't love ourselves? So this morning, I'm going to throw something out there. I'm going to say that I think it's really true that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I just don't think it's always good news. The story I'm going to use, because it's kind of dramatic and it gets to the point quickly, comes from the fourth chapter of Genesis, and we are going to project it. Adam made love to his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought forth some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborns of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said, Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, and I can picture Tom saying this in a much more sinister voice than I can. Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Okay. I had a friend when I was in my late 20s and early 30s, and we were both pastors of the same church. We were both on staff of that church. And while I would like to extol our virtues, and I'd like to think there were some, the truth is we related to each other much the same way as Peter and John related to each other. Like, who gets to sit on the right and left hand side of Jesus? Who gets to the tomb first? Who does Jesus love the most? Now, mostly, we were dear friends. We collaborated really well. 
we were exponentially more creative together than either of us was separately. We were also young, and as Father Richard Rohr would say, in that first half of life where we're building our identities, he would say building our container, which I know that many of you are in, and I'm confident that you were much more mature than I was at the time. Most of the time, my friend and I did great, but we were competing for success and affirmation in the same pool, and it never worked out neatly. No one ever came to both of us at the same time and said, wow, you guys, you are both so talented and gifted. I'm so equally impressed with both of you. I have a really fun opportunity that uses both of your gifts perfectly. That never happened. What did happen was some amazing opportunity would be offered to one of us by someone who we both looked up to, both respected, and suddenly there is a winner and a loser. Now, we might not have admitted this to each other, but of course there were ways in which it leaked. And I mean this in the most non-violent way, but when these things would happen and I would be the loser, I kind of channeled my inner cane, like I wanted to invite my friend to a field, and okay, I wasn't really going to kill her, but I was messed up. So I, I kind of feel badly for Cain. He gives an offering, Abel gives an offering, and we don't know why, but it seems somehow Abel's offering is better. I have read like a gazillion commentaries on this over the years, and everybody has their speculation that they're so sure about. The truth is we have no idea why the Lord preferred, why Abel's uh, offering is better, and we speculate so we feel less out of control about it. I kind of think poor Cain. Like, in our story, it's the Lord who prefers his brother's offering. Like, this is worse than a bigwig spiritual leader who I really look up to choosing my friend. This is conceivably God choosing your brother instead of you. If this was my sister when we were young, for sure we would have come to blows. Like, killing anyone is probably never a good idea, but the story itself is hard. So here's what I want to postulate from the story. One, that the brothers were just put in a tricky position. For you parents out there, caretakers, volunteers in our kids' wing, you might never want to praise one child over another publicly. In all seriousness, <laughs> In all seriousness, it was a no-win situation. 
And number two, we are as mature as we are. Like, I think my whole life, I wanted to be more mature than I am. Like, it looks good to be super mature. I listen and read mystics all the time. And you hear them and the way they talk, the way they respond to things, these people who are super filled with God, infused with the Spirit, and I think, ah, oh, I want to be like that. But the truth is, we are as mature as we are at any given moment, which sounds simple, but it's actually pretty deep because maybe if Cain and Abel were significantly older, maybe they suffered through some things in life and they emerged and they evolved into really healthy, lovely men. And the same thing happened. Maybe Cain would have said, wow, Abel, super helpful for me to see what a good offering to the Lord looks like. I can really see the difference in your offering and mine. You know, there's something so generous about you, Abel. Always has been. I'm learning from you, brother. Okay, maybe that's not realistic, but maybe it could have been, okay, Abel, I have to admit it, I am struggling with a good amount of jealousy. Like, I really wish if the Lord had to like one of our offerings better than the other, I wish it could have been mine. But I'm working on my stuff. I love you, and even though I sort of want to kill you at this moment, I'm not going to. I'm trying to grow up. It's hard but we are as mature as we are at any moment. And three, and germane to our topic, we do love each other as much as we love ourselves, right? The more that I love myself uh, in a healed, holistic sense, the more I love you guys well. I no longer love you for what I get back, from you, I no longer love you because your love makes me feel better about myself. I don't love you so that I could tick off the love your parishioner box of my job description. The healthier I get, I love you because you're delightful. I love you because you're lovable. And more importantly, I love you because I have the capacity to love. Tom and I have been doing a deep dive in our interior world over the last years. We have done therapy, we've gone to spiritual direction. We've been pretty serious about it. Uh, we didn't go into this saying, let's get healed so that we can become better lovers to each other but we are emerging, realizing that all that healing has transformed our capacity to love. Like we can think of therapy or any means of getting help as this kind of self-indulgent thing. I'm spending too much time on me. But it's actually one of the best gifts that we can ever give the people around us. Like, it doesn't have to be therapy, but the process of self-examination and healing around a lifetime of traumas 
That's a big deal. So going back to our original thesis, we do love our neighbor as ourself. I think for better or worse, it's just true. What I mean by that is that it's all we can do. We can't, I can't love any other person better than I love myself. We can't, it's not possible. We can be kind, we can be generous for sure, but deep selfless love, love for the sake of the other. No greater love is this than I lay down my life for my friend kind of love. That requires self-love. I think much of what we think of as love, we could aptly describe as affection. I feel love for you. And I think this is meaningful, but in and of itself, it doesn't speak to our capacity to live it out well. It's a feeling and an important one and one worth nurturing in our relationships. But one can have that feeling and not be living out selfless, sacrificial love. Uh, my guess is the command to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, at least on one level, refers more to treating our neighbor as we would wish to be treated. Or be concerned that our neighbor has the material things in life that we think are so important or necessary for ourselves. That we care for our neighbor in every way that we would want to be cared for. I love this. I think it works as a command from God. It's good, it speaks to all our relationships, and it certainly speaks to all of our systems. And there is endless work, as we all know for us to do to make this happen. But I'm going to say that at a deeper level, the only way that this can happen, the only way that Cain is ever gonna care about Abel, the only way I can really love my pastor friend, the only way my sister and I avoid coming to blows, the only way we get to the real lay down your life, sacrificial life, is if we get the healing that we need so that we can absolutely love ourselves and from that amazing and glorious space, we can love each other and we can become love. So to that end, I will offer a couple thoughts. Number one, understand the place of suffering in our transformation. As awful as suffering is, and I would never wish suffering on anyone for any reason, suffering is what often changes us. It is real. I'm happy when I'm happy, but it doesn't necessitate or invite interchange. It doesn't require self-examination. It doesn't demand or even like interior work. Like when I'm feeling really good, I'm not that compelled to work that hard on changing myself. Being happy is great, but learning how to live in our suffering is a lifetime of work. Last year I've shared was a rougher one for me. 
My kids were busy having miscarriages. My son, my baby, had a failing esophagus causing me and presumably him a lot of grief. Every day was some version of dealing with inner pain. I didn't feel particularly good at it. I mean, I don't even know what that would look like. Suffering isn't suffering if we're doing that well. It just hurt. I would say to my therapist, it really hurts. And she would say, yes, it hurts. And I would think, wait, I'm paying you for that? <laughs> but that's the reality. When we're in pain, it hurts. I learned over time to notice it, to try to be kind and gentle with myself. And as I was able to do life, it's an ongoing process. So let me be clear, I am not grateful for my kids' losses or for my son's suffering, but I am aware that I changed. In that process, my ability to love changed, my ability to care changed, my commitment to life changed. And two, we need to experience God's love. I remember the first time when Tom saw a spiritual director, it was like 10 years ago. He'd come home every time, kind of buoyant, and he'd say, God loves me. And I would present well. Like I'd say something like, oh yeah, honey, God does love you. And I'd be thinking, you're 50 years old and you've been a Christian pretty much your whole life. I'm glad that you're getting this down now. But the truth is, for any of us, when we actually come in contact with love of God, when for a minute we experience God's love beyond intellectual assent, we are undone. The first time... I realized that the God of the universe loved me, knew me, called me by name. I couldn't function. I felt like my cells were spinning out in different directions. I was overwhelmed and overcome. We love because God first loved us. To encounter God really is to encounter love. What Tom was saying was that counter to all my negative self-talk, counter to all the crap that I've internalized over a lifetime, God loves me. So I'll close with this story. My friend Leah, some of you know, used to be a pastor here. She was here last week. My idea of a good day is a fun hike and then some kind of prayer practice. Saturday, a week ago Saturday, was one of those perfect days. Lee and I went to Farmer's Market. You have to be happy at Farmer's Market. Then we hiked Palisades. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's in Mount Vernon along the river, some bluffs, and it was gorgeous and glorious. But when we got home, Tom and Leah and I decided that we would just take turns praying for each other. So we decided how we would do that is we would just each take a few minutes to share whatever it was that was kind of popping for us at that moment, what we were thinking about or felt like sharing. 
And then in whatever way it felt comfortable to the one who was sharing, we would pray for that person. And that's what we did for all of us. When it came um, time for me to share, there has, was a memory that had been stirring. It wasn't something that I forgot, but it was just something that had been stirring for me lately. So I decided I was going to talk to them about that particular memory, um, although it's not something that I'd really talked about and said out loud much before that. So here's my memory. When I was nine years old, my cousin and I both ended up in the hospital at the same time. Susie was older, she was in her 20s. She was my mom's sister's daughter, so she was uh, my cousin, and she was lovely. Now, she got sick for some unexplicable reason. Um, she was on the adult floor, I was on the kids' floor, I was in the hospital with my asthma, which I was often as a kid. The thing is, I came home from the hospital, and my cousin did not. Nobody knew exactly what happened, but of course, it was awful. And in the course of my entire life, I never had a conversation with my parents about what it meant to have two cousins, daughters of sisters who were best friends, in the hospital at the same time, and one comes out, one leaves. Now, I didn't think about this much as a child. It was just the water that I swam in. It was one of those things that just lays dormant in your soul until the moment for some reason, it doesn't any longer. And you begin to acknowledge it with your consciousness. So I shared my story out loud with them, much like I just did with you. And I felt very brave saying it out loud. And then they prayed for me sweet, tender prayers. But while they were praying for me, I could hear in my head the words, live, 80, live. And I was thinking, oh, who is that? Like, is that my 65-year-old present self speaking to my nine-year-old self saying, live, 80, live? Is that... Jesus, always present with us, present to that little girl, saying, live, 80 live. So I'm just staying present in prayer. And I saw however we see things in those moments, what appeared to be my cousin, filled with the Spirit of God, so... Suspend any theological commitments you have at this moment. Divine and beautiful and looking at me and more looking at a nine-year-old little girl not sure what to do and saying, live, 80, live. 
it was one of those moments of encountering love. I immediately started crying. They gathered around me. I felt God's presence so close. God's love so close. It was beautiful. It was glorious. It was healing. It was redemptive. My heart opened. Our invitation this morning is to receive and to internalize God's healing love for ourselves. Our invitation is to do what it takes to love ourselves. So that if some pastor ever says to you when you're starting a church service, we're going to do something awkward this morning. We're going to start out by telling ourselves how much I love myself. That you can think, I've done so much work in my life. And I can do that. And I have so many reasons why I love myself. Oh, that our hurting world could do this. Amen.